0: Good morning just pause and pray with me for a moment Lord thank you for that word from Meg and for how she testifies to the way you have spoken to her and revealed yourself through your word and we want you to do that for us today as we look to your word and so we we open our hearts and our minds and we ask you Lord to speak for Christ's glory amen so we've been taking a few weeks to talk about our church's mission statement, which says that our church exists to glorify God by doing three things, by, by learning of God, by living in Christ, and by loving God and our neighbors. And today I want to talk about the second of those, of those three things, living in Christ. And what we mean by this is we, we want to be a church that where we do more than just talk about Jesus, right? More than just learn about Him, but where we live in Him. And, and, and Meg's testimony really illustrated what that, that, what that means. It means from the moment we come to Christ, you know, as, as we follow Him through the years, we keep on growing, just continually growing in our knowledge of Him, in our character, and just growing in our life in, in Jesus, in the Spirit. And the passage that Kimberly just read for us from uh, 2 Peter 1 talks about that kind of growth. That, that it's really, a, this is about spiritual growth in the life of a believer. So to work through this passage, I'll just divide my thoughts into three headings. I want to talk first about the power, the power for spiritual growth. Then secondly, the process of spiritual growth. And then thirdly, the importance. Why is it important for us to continue to grow as uh, followers of the Lord? So we'll start with the power. Um, Sometimes you meet people who are perhaps hesitant to become Christians, and when you talk with them, you get the impression that they think that the Christian life is kind of like shopping at Ikea. How many of you have ever shopped at Ikea? You know, you walk through the, the, the showroom and you see all these beautiful arrangements and beautiful furniture and you, you come across a piece of furniture and you say, oh, this is beautiful, this is perfect, this is exactly what I need in my home. You get to the checkout and they give you a box. You're like, how in the world do they fit a whole armoire in this box, right? You get home, you open the box and you realize that, yes, indeed, you are now the proud owner of a beautiful piece of furniture, but it is entirely up to you to put it all together. You have to figure it out. You have to make it work. You have to put it together. And sometimes people think that the Christian life is like that. It's up to you. You have to figure this out. You, you're the one who has to put it all together. And what would you say to that? I'm sure you would say, no, it's not. Listen, it is not like that at all, right? We don't, we, believers in Christ do not live the Christian life in their own power, do we? We, we, we live it in the power of God. And you see that here in verse 3. Verse 3 says, His divine power, not our human power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything. I'm fascinated by those three words. Has given us. Look, look at those words. First, think about the tense of that verb. Has given. In English, we would say that is in the past perfect tense, and that means that all the giving has already been done. It's done. When I was a when I was a kid, sometimes in the weeks leading up to Christmas, I would secretly search through our home for the gifts that I hoped would be given to me. I hope none of the kids here do that. You should not do this. But sometimes I would, I admit, I'd look in my parents' closet. I'd look under their bed. I'd look through the drawers. I would, I would search to see if I could find the gifts that I hoped would be given to me. Before Christmas, I would search. But after Christmas, I would not search anymore. Why? Because all the giving had already been done. The gifts were already mine. They were in my possession. Now listen, when I was a young believer, I went through a long season of my life when I, I was like I was searching, sometimes frantically searching for gifts that I thought God had not yet given me. Just I, I just need God to do something more. I need more of his power. I need more of his spirit. I need, I need more of his anointing on my life. And then a verse like 2 Peter 1, verse 3 comes along and informs me. All the giving has already been done. The the idea of frantically searching, it's it's not needed anymore. It's already been given to me. Um, His divine power has given everything. So first look at the tense of those verbs. And then second, look at what would you call this, the indirect object of, of the verb. His divine power has given, what's the next word? Us. So here's a question to whom has god's divine power given everything needed for a godly life to apostles to pastors to missionaries oh no to bible scholars doesn't say that it says this has been given to us meaning all believers in jesus christ are you a believer in christ have you trusted in him this is saying that if if you are All believers in Christ have already been given everything they need to continue to grow spiritually as followers of Christ. So Peter is saying here that this, he is not describing, when he talks about the power of God for change in our lives, he is not describing a secret power that's reserved for the elite few, right? No, he's saying this is the free gift of a loving father that he gives to all of his children, right? all of them, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge. And the word there in Greek is talking about relational knowledge, not just intellectual, through our relational knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And then look at verse 4. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. How many of you believe that the promises of God are very great and precious? All right. Through these, He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them look at this you you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires now that phrase you may participate in the divine nature that phrase has given um christians goosebumps for centuries what is this talking about it, it, Peter seems to be saying to every, every believer that through your union with God in Christ, you, well, in, in the words of, of, of Romans eight twenty nine, you can be conformed to the likeness of Christ. God, God God can work in your your life in such a way that you you begin to resemble Jesus. You participate in the the divine nature of God. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he wrote, here's what he wrote. He said, if we let him, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures pulsating throughout with such energy and joy and wisdom and love that we cannot now imagine a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God his own boundless power and delight and goodness. So the power of God has given to us everything we need for a godly life and to participate in his nature in this way. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if you're like, like me, but sometimes, some things I, sometimes I think I do not expect enough from God. He is is willing to work in our lives in amazing ways. And he will give us the power to grow, uh, to bring glory to him with our lives. So the power for spiritual growth, it comes from God. Now, someone might hear that and say, oh, well, I guess if the power is from God, the power for growth, the power for change is coming from Him, I guess that means I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit back and wait for the power of God to change me. And and that that would be a mistake, wouldn't it? Peter, after talking about the power of God for growth, he goes on to talk about the process of growth. The power comes from God. The process involves us. Verse five through seven, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection. You could translate that brotherly or sisterly love, and to mutual affection, love. So, it's pretty clear, Peter here, he's describing a process of change of growth in our life. And let me just point out two things about the process. First, notice, he's, he's talking about a process that is gradual. It takes time. Something that impressed me about what Meg shared was she talked about the change that began to take place in her life when she first came to Christ as, as, a, as a young adult. And then she talked about change that is still happening in her life today, 40 years later. It's just, it's just a gradual, lifelong process it takes time there's an old story about some american tourists who were traveling through europe and every time they would go to a different city or town they would be impressed by the plaques they would see on the walls of the buildings talking about the famous individuals that had been born in that place and they were out in the country going through this little village and they saw this old man sitting next to the road and they stopped and they asked him they said sir sir were any great men or great women born in this village the old man said Nope. Only thing ever born here is just babies, right? Just babies. No no one is born a great man. No one is born a great woman. We are all born babies, right? And then we have to grow and develop, and it is exactly like that in, in the life, in the Christian life. Where when you come to Christ, you're born again into God's family, and no one's expecting you to have it all together, you have your whole life, little by little, you grow in Christ. So Peter says here, add. Add to your faith, goodness. Add to, to your goodness, knowledge. Add to your knowledge, self-control. I get the picture. The picture comes to mind as someone who's just making a, a, a pot of, of uh, soup. And they add a little salt and taste it. And add a little pepper, a little more salt, a little cumin. You just, you just keep adding these various virtues to your life. Gradually, as, as God shapes you into what he's designed to you to be. So he, he's describing a process that takes place little by little, day after day, over time. In fact, verse 8, he says, he says we are to possess these qualities, how? In increasing measure. So Christian, you ought to expect that your life will be a life of ongoing growth and change in the Lord. There's a, a church leader from the Dominican Republic named Patricia Namnun, and she says this, spiritual growth is the process through which God shapes us to be more and more like Christ. As Christians, we want to be like Jesus. This process does not happen by accident, nor does it happen immediately. I would agree with that. It takes time. So, first, uh, about this process, notice that it's gradual. Second, notice that it's very personal. It's personal. So, here, so here's a question. Who, who is responsible to, to add to my faith the virtue of goodness? and to add to my goodness, knowledge, and to add self-control, godliness, love. Who's responsible for this? Is God responsible for doing this for me? No. Peter says that I am, and you are, personally. So the, the process, the power for change that comes from God, the process, it involves us. So in verse 5, Peter says, Make every effort, you make every effort, to add to your faith. That... Uh, phrase, make every effort, you can translate that various ways. And so according to what version of the Bible you read, you'll, you'll, you'll sometimes find that translated, use all diligence. One Bible translated, try your hardest. Another one says, do your best. One, one says, strive to do these things. What, one, one Bible translation says, do your utmost from your side. God will do his part on his side. You do your best on, on your side. And these are, all, these are all conveying an idea of effort uh, on, on your part. There's a Christian author named R.C. Sproul who wrote this. He said, the Christian life requires hard work. I wonder how many of you knew that? It requires hard work. He says, our, our sanctification is a process wherein we are co-workers with God. We have the promise of God's assistance in our labor, but His divine help does not nullify our responsibility to work. Each one of us is, is personally responsible, of relying on the power of God, of course, rejoicing the fact that we belong to him through Jesus. We are forgiven. We are accepted. But we have the responsibility to do um, what we need to do to continue to grow. Now here's what, at first it it kind of frustrated me, but then it just intrigues me. It intrigues me that Peter, he tells us to add these virtues to our life, but he doesn't tell us how to do it. Did you notice that? He's nowhere, he says, here's how you do it. He he just, he just, uh, it seems to me that he's inviting us to engage in some personal reflection, just to think. Well, what would it take for me to become more loving? What could I do? I'm, I'm not very loving. What could I do about that? Or, or what, what, what could I do if I need to add knowledge to my faith? I'm really lacking in biblical knowledge. Is there anything I could do about that? Or, or uh, if I don't feel much mutual affection, sibling love for others in the church because frankly I don't really even know anybody in my church what could what what could I do about that he's just he's just inviting us each one of us do some reflection think about this what would it take for you to add these virtues to your life you in, in community groups this week um groups of uh will be gathering and studying this passage together one of the questions that uh, we'll be grappling with in our groups is this Pick one of the seven virtues listed in verses 5 through 7 and describe actions you think a Christian should take if they want that virtue to increase in their personal character. It just seems like Peter's inviting us, do that kind of reflection. You could, Just what would it take with the power of God for you to grow in these ways? So the, proce- the power for change is from the Lord. You don't have to empower this. The process involves you. Now finally, the the importance, why does it matter? Uh, Jesus died for me, I've trusted him, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, who cares if I grow, what difference does it make? Listen, it's vitally important that you keep growing in Christ. Let me give you, I'll have to do this quickly, but four reasons why, why this is important. Here's one, believer, if you are growing as a Christian, hear me, if you are growing as a Christian, Your life will make a difference in this world. Your life will make a difference here. Peter says that, verse 8, he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This will keep you from being unproductive, and I think every one of us would find that important. I don't know, I don't think there's any of us, there can't be any of us here who really hopes that when we reach the end of our life, no one will miss us, no one will think we made any difference at all in this. Well, nobody wants that. We want our life to count for something, and because of that, sometimes, have you ever thought this way? Sometimes we think, you know what, if I were only more gifted, if I were just more gifted, then I would make a difference in this world. If I were a talented musician like the ones we had up here uh, leading us in worship, or if I were a famous athlete, if I were a great author or preacher, you know, if I were more gifted, then I would make a difference. And Peter would say, don't think that way. Peter would say, the key to making a difference in this world, it's not being gifted. He would say, the key to making a difference in this world is to be growing. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you just keep growing as a Christian through your life, um, this will keep you from being unproductive. This will keep you from being ineffective. Lives around you will be affected because of the way God is working in your life. So that's one reason. This will, your life will make a difference. Second reason why it's important to grow is because uh, growing in Christ, growing spiritually, produces gratitude, joy. It gives you joy. But verse, verse 9 is kind of talking about the opposite of that. Those who don't grow. Who, whoever does not have these qualities, whoever's not growing, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. In other words, I would say they're grumpy, all right? Christians, Christians who are just kind of spiritually stagnated. They're not growing anymore. They're just, they're just grumpy. They're miserable. They're forgetting what God has done. They, they don't see any progress happening in their life, so they kind of forget. They forget what God has done for them, how far they've come, how, how, how God has blessed. They forget that they've been forgiven from their past sins. The opposite When you're seeing progress, even if it's happening very slowly, you're seeing God build you and change you. You look back and you see how you've grown. It just gives you a sense of gratitude and joy. When our kids were little, did any of you ever do this? When our kids were little, we had this one spot in, in our kitchen where every year we would have them stand against the, the, the door frame and, and we'd take a book and put it on their head and draw a line and write their name and write the date. And, and then every every year we'd look back and we'd do it again and they'd see how much they'd grown. And they always felt happy. I never, I've never, i never seen a little kid, oh, man, I grew this year. Yeah, nuts. I hate growing. Nobody would say that. would this is wonderful. I'm getting bigger. I'm growing. I'm becoming big. It's this, listen, it's the same with Christ. Have, have you ever... Um have you ever had a moment where you kind of catch yourself and you realize wow I I reacted so differently to this aggravation than I would have 5 years ago or you know you, you know 3 years ago I would have fallen to that temptation why why didn't I now or you know you just see yourself growing and you see it's kind of like the little the lines with little children's names on the doorpost of a of a kitchen it's just I'm growing, it gives you a sense of joy. There was um, a famous Christian, John Newton, he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Oh my, did this man see growth in his life. When he came to to Christ, he was just in abject evil. He was a slave trader, was trapped in all kinds of vices, and he did not change overnight. It took him a long time to change. But he grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he just came such a godly man he talks about how looking back and just seeing progress it gave him joy. He's he's quoted as saying this. He said, I'm I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I wonder how many here could, could say that about yourself. I have a long way to go, but I look back. I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm not what I was, doesn't that give you joy? So that's a second reason why this is important. Third reason is um, growing, continually growing as a Christian can protect you against falling. Now, some of you, maybe this has happened to you or someone you know, sometimes Christians will just make really bad life choices, or, or they'll fall to some temptation, real moral failure in their life that just brings all kinds of heartache and pain to them, to their family. Let me just tell you, that can happen to anyone. Be- far better Christians than me have fallen in very painful ways. Any- it could happen to anyone. And Peter says here that if you're in the process of just continually growing, that kind of gives you, it safeguards you against that happening. Uh, Verse 10, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, he says, you will never stumble. Have any of you ever, um, have you ever tried to sit on a bicycle that's not moving? You're not pedaling, it's not moving at all, you're just trying to balance on the bike. Some people I guess can do it, but it's it's really hard, right? The tendency is that if it's not moving, you're just gonna tip over, right? But if the bike is moving, you're pedaling, you're zooming down the street, I mean, you just—you don't even have to hold the handlebars. There's something about forward movement. The bike just stays up on its own. It's like that in the Christian life. Forward, forward movement protects against these, these needless falls. Peter says if you do these things, you won't stumble. But when you stop growing, you just kind of you, you stop advancing, well, what happens? Some of you have read the Bible. Let me ask you, when, when did King David fall into sin? When he stopped going out to battle, right? When, when was Samson conquered by his enemies? When he fell asleep at Delilah's house, right? When, when, did, when did Peter deny the Lord? When he took a nap in the garden, right? Just you, When you stop moving, you start falling. But if you're growing, even if it's slowly Every day, daily repenting of sin, daily looking to Christ, daily hearing from God in His Word, weekly gathering with other believers to, to worship Him, to hear the Word, to, to come to the table. If, if you're just letting God change you and you're growing, um, well, I guess you would say, listen, the, the devil can't hit a moving target, right? When you're growing, it's just, it just protects you. So why is this important? Your life, if you're growing, your life will make a difference. This will give you joy. It will keep you from falling. And then, one final reason is is that it will just give you, as you're growing, an assurance, a sense of assurance that you will receive God's eternal reward. So, you call yourself a Christian, you say that you're saved. How do you know? How do you know you're not fooling yourself? How do you know that God's grace has really worked in your life? You say, well, because I was baptized. Adolf Hitler was baptized. You say, because I'm very involved in church. You, you know what? There have been church pastors who later came to light. They were in the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, you can be very involved and yet know none of God's grace. Or well, you say, well, because I have actually led other people to faith in Jesus. Through my witness, they were converted. You know what? Judas preached the gospel, and he did so very effectively. So how do you really know? How do you, How do you know that God's grace has genuinely entered into your life and that you belong to him now? Well, the Bible would say that the clearest evidence of God's saving grace in your life is ongoing growth in Christian character. You see him changing. You say, I know I'm not doing this. He must be here. And so Peter says in verse 10, he says, by growing in Christ, he says, what happens? You confirm your calling and election. In other words, you realize, God really didn't choose to save me. He really has called me to Christ. It's confirmed. It's kind of like, you're all right, you're in, your, you're in the taxi. You're on your way to LaGuardia Airport. You're kind of worried. Did I really have a seat on that flight? Because I thought I would get an email. And so you, you, you call up the airline. You say, I, want to conf- I would like to confirm the status of my flight. I want to be sure I have a seat on that plane. And they say, yes, it's confirmed. And that's what growing, growing in Christ does for you. It just confirms It gives you a sense of of, of assurance, assurance, verse 11, that you will receive a welcome, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You just say, you know what, I sometimes feel like the most messed up Christian in the world, but I do see God changing me, so I know this is real. I know I couldn't do this. It must be real. So we want to be a church where we live in Christ, Right? We want want our lives to grow and be changed in Him. Um, We can't do this on our own. You'd agree with that. The power comes from God. The process will involve us. I can't do this for you. No one can do this for you. You have to be involved. But this is so important. As as you're growing in Christ, this this is what makes you effective. God uses you. This this is what keeps you from falling. God strengthens you. This is what gives you assurance. It just gives you confidence. And, And hear me, brother, sister, growing in Christ, this is what fills you with joy. So I want more of that. Do you? Do you? Do you? All right, let's pray. Father we thank you that you love us that when we come to Christ you accept us and you adopt us as your own no matter how messed up we are that's all done because of Jesus and we thank you that though you take us the way you, we are you don't leave us that way you, you help us to grow and I, so I pray for each one of us wherever we are in that journey today maybe we're just starting maybe we, we've, we've kind of stalled but wherever we are Would you speak your truth to us of the joy of growing in our faith and lead us down that path for the glory of Christ? Amen.